It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. If Putin wants a Cold War, he actually has already lived through one, the former Soviet Union. But if he wants a Cold War, should we give it to him? And how would we do that in today's world, which is important, not how it was done in the past during the initial Cold War, which began post-World War II? Ambassador Francis Rooney, former representative as well in Florida's 19th Congressional District, joins me now. And in the Hill, you write, and uh, this is the question on the table. If Putin wants a Cold War, the world should give him one. That word world ambassador is what's key to this. Would the world be willing and who is in that world well so far the uh, the western nations have stepped up pretty well uh, even though it hurts their economic interests worse than ours particularly germany so i think we can feel pretty good that the, the at least the west uh, realizes the seriousness of putin's aggression and the need to deal with him economically like we dealt with russia in the in the iron curtain days economically and try to keep it away from militarily as much as possible no and i i understand that point but i also made the point that then versus now then there was a clearer definition clearer lines of delineation there was germany's post-war uh existence right uh, the the guilt over the Nazi regime, the pacifism under Angela Merkel and subsequent leaders uh, in Germany, France in a different position, the United Kingdom and the rest of the European Union, uh, primarily as part of this Western bloc, and to what extent Slavic nations play into this. So what does that world look like today? Well, I would contend that that world being more tied to Russia may stand up because there's really not another choice available to them now. But a Cold War is a long-term proposition. And I would be concerned that once again, the U.S. would begin to bear the, the majority of this, as we always have, the assets, the actions. And we would be propping up other nations who will walk carefully for their purposes uh, around an actual Cold War. Well, I think that um, the countries that have pulled out of Russia are are fairly broad. Uh, There's still some German companies that haven't pulled out as much as we would hope, but most of the important luxury retailers, the oil companies, certainly the United States companies, food companies, uh, with the exception of Nestle, have, have pulled out. And there was an article in the journal today showing that empty gum grocery uh, department store in Moscow with all the goods, uh, all the uh, containers empty. Um, and, you know, Russian people are going to have to decide, do they like our way, capitalism, free enterprise, and the good things that go with it, or do they want to go back to the days when it was a state uh, autocracy when they didn't have anything? Oh, and fair point on that, uh, how they see it and how they affect it or effectuate or make it happen is another question. Today gets a bit more complex, though, 
and in this sense. Now you have China as an economic actor on the world stage, not just in energy, but in goods and services for that matter, technology largely interactive with this. So China can play a role in this, not just the Western European nations or the Slavic bloc. Then you have other actors that can act in their own way. You have Iran. You have, I would say, discount for these for the moment, but not fully North Korea. And then you have the independent and individual interests of the stands and India, largely the Indo-Pacific region. So it's much more complex today because of the interconnected economic and political ties, alliances, and allegiances. So to carry out a Cold War, when we had a starting point of removing Russia from the swift banking system, we were unable, because of various reasons, to remove the oil payments that went through that system and still do today, where we should have gone after, for example, in a real Cold War scenario, the Russian Central Bank. So if we're unwilling in this country to act fully and are allies, friends, uh, whatever way they want to classify themselves, uh, won't go the distance, it, it makes me question, could we have an effective Cold War? Well, we don't know. You're right. It's a very good question. I'm just saying this would be a better alternative than any of the other alternatives that I've seen to try to contain Russian aggression. You know, Germany's talking about a two-year phase-out of Russian oil. Uh, it's still not like we'd like to see it as, as, as clear and, and broad and deep as sanctions and withdrawals as we'd like. But, uh, you know, when you think about the global alliances, this is very similar to the way the Cold War was back then. You had China and Russia, allies, but also sparring partners. You had North Korea, which is owned basically by China. And, and then you had India, who has always been aligned with Russia because of our alignment with Pakistan. And it certainly gets very Russia. complex. <laughs> So, look, and by the way, I'm, I'm pro, for lack of a better term, Cold War strategy. I, I think that we need to have a, you know, a full instrument of national power approach when dealing with Russia. I think degrading military, that's already underway. Uh, I think there is uh, obviously a dissent within Russia, and maybe someone else wants to rise and take their turn at power, whether autocratic or otherwise, which provides a, a threat to Putin. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I, I want to ask you this. What are your thoughts on the, the nuclear saber rattling uh, by Vladimir Putin and his government? Well, it was pretty disturbing to hear Lavrov talk about that. And I also was a little disturbed by some of the president's uh, loose comments, which he has a habit of doing, and uh, Secretary Austin's very aggressive comments about Putin. I don't think it serves our interest to back this guy into a military corner. We need to do everything we can do to avoid that. That's why I keep coming back to the economic side of things. But there's no reason to give him a pretext to use a tactical nuke or a biochem weapon. Yeah, that point or the point of Putin's willingness to act is also, and again, you know, none of this has a, you know, one plus one equals two answer, right? There, let's face it, we're dealing with a lot of unknowns here, some knowns, but a lot of unknowns. And Putin's a lot of things, a lot of things we don't know, but 
you know, talking to experts who've dealt with Russia directly, intelligence, politically and otherwise, over the years, and some who fall more in what's left of the Gorbachev camp, right? Post-Gorbachev, there were many others uh, that were surrounding the Troika and how they see the others in Russia. Putin's nuclear saber rattling uh, is concerning, but not as big a concern because he doesn't get as much unilateral power uh, given just what we now know and what nuclear use, tactical or otherwise, really looks like. Low yield or high yield. Uh, low yield is what we're talking about, but you know it's not universal and, and as easy as it's ra- easy to rattle. Yeah, well, he doesn't need to do it now. I mean, he's about to Russify those two uh, areas in the east and turn them into Russian states, and that'll take him some time to get that accomplished. I think that's his current goal. Then maybe go after Odessa and maybe turn the Ukraine into a landlocked country. And if he does that, does the Ukraine resistance end? Uh, You know, in the Cold War, uh, we learned some lessons. One is population matters. Uh, the population in Poland, right, with John Paul and Ronald Reagan, Lech Walesa and the movement, the people uh, and solidarity was the pe- was a case of the people. You, the, the communists were up against the population. We see similar elements in the Ukraine now. And while, you know, near term victory could militarily fall to Putin. Uh, there is that element of he's now fighting an entire population. What do you say to that element? Yeah, I agree with some of the intel people that have been interviewed in the, in the media that uh, the, the spunk that these Ukrainians have shown would tend to imply that Russia is going to face, face a type of uh, guerrilla war for a long time as they seek back into the shadows and keep fighting them. Well, I guess the- it's Russia's Viet Cong. Yeah, or in some ways similarities, although different culture, to what happened in Afghanistan as well. So uh, other areas or other things we haven't discussed, how else could uh, the world give him a Cold War, give Putin a Cold War? Well, remember, what we went through a time during the Cold War where there were no Russians around. There were no Russian goods. They were only in the Soviet bloc. Um, and, and we go back to that and drive their economy inward, and let's see how they like it. I, I don't think the oligarchs are going to like having all their toys taken. Uh, you know, Putin and his buddies basically were just stole half the entire economy of Russia. And, and then the average Russian people who go shop in that department store I mentioned, they're not going to like not having McDonald's and Western products either. And that might actually drive a, uh, a change in their view to their government at some point. On soft power use, and it's interesting uh, because of all the people I'd want to sit down with personally, Lavrov, Sergei Lavrov, the man has been a master of the arts in Washington, D.C., the political, the influence, uh, and Lavrov is is probably the player in, in politics in the West for Russia. When you look at Lavrov, could he be the path to Putin? Oh, he definitely is. And he's not, I think everything they say is pretty well scripted. They don't have the loose lips that our administration seems to have. And uh, for Lavrov to throw out that little nuclear grenade 
not to make a pun, um, uh, was was a calculated measure just to remind everybody how serious the stakes are of backing them into a corner. What about energy as a weapon? And in this case, uh, some things that are happening that don't uh, make it into the news. For example, uh, the Baltic pipeline is due to complete in October of this year. That will take natural gas from the North Sea to Poland via Denmark. That changes the game. It also could then expand to delivery from the Norway fields, which only put out 5% capacity now that goes through the other subsea pipeline to the UK and could change for Germany and others. Uh, They need to increase output capacity and energy could be a a big weapon. And while even smaller here in the United States and questionable under this administration, simply removing even a five or six percent input from Russia, uh, this would all not only lay out a future of less demand on Russian Russian energy, but also less payments going in from at least from our nations when he gets a billion dollars a day at current rate. Absolutely. That's got to be the 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 primary goal. Drive them into the hands of China where it used to be anyway. China's going to buy Russia's oil, just like they buy a third of Iran's oil right now. And we are energy independent. If, if the administration would stop waging war on the energy business, you know, uh, the Western Hemisphere already is energy independent. And if we go back to drilling in the Permian, we could con- con- continue to increase this, not to mention all the gas that we have. And we've been talking about LNG for Europe since President Bush's first year in office. He tried to organize a task force to solve this problem way back then, and nobody wanted to do it, including that corrupt president of Germany, Schroeder, because he was in the hands of the Russians. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, his name just is T. Boone Pickens. T. Boone Pickens warned us of this. You know, when it came to natural gas reliquification plants, Europe's capacity. Europe caused its own problem. I mean, in many ways, Europe caused its own economic demise when tied to energy. And, you know, here in the U.S., this is my concern. And obviously it's obvious, I think, that the Biden administration is subject to outside forces. China's lobbying is heavy on this. China pushing for their purposes. And then when you look at the production of of fuel in any form out of the earth, the extraction by shale, by fracking, uh, by natural gas, otherwise rare earth minerals, we are literally being hamstrung by our own leadership. So again, if we're going to execute a cold war, our leadership has to make the right decisions. And those decisions aren't always pointed at Russia, but to their allies like China. Well, yeah, we need to decide if we can stop the rot right here to be effective in deploying any kind of reasonable foreign policy. I mean, look at the Indians stopping the pipelines and the the, uh, the bills they want to pass. They're spending a fortune and on a lot of things that aren't going to add productive capacity. Uh, like you say, the, the uh, energy business needs to be supported uh, so that we can be strong. And then we can deploy an effective foreign policy. But the way this country is turning in on itself – uh, you got to wonder how they see it over there in China and Russia. They see us as weak, and that's part of why they're making these moves. 
It'll be uh, an interesting uh, number or at least a few more years of Joe Biden and his administration and this State Department under uh, Blinken. You know, one last question for you, exit question, certainly not last part of this discussion, Ambassador, by any means. The Office of Overseas Cooperation and Security in Europe. Now, that office could play a role, but woefully things have changed since the Trump administration and Ambassador Gilmore. Uh, Have you taken a look at that, and what are your thoughts, if so? Well, it's an umbrella organization that can be be a unifying force and, and to get away from always talking about NATO, which you know, is a hot button for Russia. Uh, the OSCE has been effective in the past of, of dealing with pan-European issues, the EU integration issues, the European Central Bank loaning during the, the uh, uh, financial crisis of 2008. So there's a role they could play if they want to do it. Well, unfortunately, there again, see the previously mentioned administration, the Biden administration. <laughs> Sir, thank you. The discussion is important. I hope, well, I hope somebody rational is listening. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ambassador Francis Runan, a former representative here in my new home state, my now home state, I can't call it new anymore, of Florida. Thank you, sir. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.